You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, good morning, Midtown family. Thanks so much for joining us on a Thanksgiving day, week, or Thanksgiving weekend, rather. I hope that you guys enjoyed time with friends and family, and I uh, had a great time, and I applaud you for coming together to worship with your spiritual family uh, this morning as well. Trust that God's going to speak to us, even though we are smaller in number, uh, God's here with us. Uh, for those who are visiting, uh, a couple things I wanted to uh, say from the front. First, I want to give a great thanks to our decorating team that made this place look so nice. That's the Seabolt sisters, Kelly and Terry and Jamie. And Mary and Brenda all uh, came up here yesterday and got this set up. So thanks a lot, guys. It really makes the place look great. We do appreciate you very much. And secondly, uh, in case you didn't know, a couple uh, weeks ago, I had surgery on my shoulder. So this is my first week outside of the sling, so that feels great. But I want you to know that my, uh, my range of motion is very limited. Not that I'm like prone to do lots of gestures, but if I'm doing gestures today, it might look kind of like this. And so... Just know nothing's wrong. I'm not having a stroke. It's just, it's just that I can't move my arm very much. So I wanted you to know that. And then a third thing by way of introduction is I want to let you know that we're actually going to finish our uh, book of Colossians today. But today, you're going to get two sermons in one. Does that sound exciting? Cowboys have already played. We can keep you here till like 1230. Nothing to worry about. We won't do that. But we actually are doing two sermons in one. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how the sausage is made. When we uh, plan out sermon series, we months and months in advance assign like who's going to do which part. And so uh, a couple weeks ago when we had the baptism Sunday, Jake had a pretty long passage that he was assigned. And as he was studying it that week, he just thought, man, I can't do this all in one setting, particularly on a baptism Sunday when we've got to teach a little bit shorter amount of time. And so he said, well, we can just push it back. And so everything got pushed to me. So we can thank Jake that you're going to get two sermons today. No, it was important for us to, to break up that part of Colossians, I think was a really wise decision. But I didn't want to just do, I was given two options. I was given just do verses two through six, which is kind of one chunk that we could look at, or you can do verses seven through 18. And I decided I'm going to do both, but they're going to be two completely different sermons. So you ready for that? That's going to be pretty fun. Now you know a little bit about how the sausage is made. A lot of times people don't actually teach on the uh, last part of Colossians because it's just, it's just a list of names almost. And so, uh, but I had so much fun studying at the week that I had my surgery, I couldn't do much work, but I said, the one thing I can do is I can actually study. So I was reading and studying for that passage. And so when it came time, I was like, no, I really want to teach that part too. So that's what we're going to get to do. And I'm going to read the passage in the middle of the sermon. They'll have you guys stand. And I didn't pick a reader because it would have been torturous to give this passage to someone to read because it's full of these really weird names and some weird cities. And so I'm going to make myself do the hard work on that. And so that's what we're in for today. Sound, sound good? Just as a reminder, the last, the last two chapters of Colossians, Paul's starting to get really practical with the people. People he's writing this letter to, he's telling them how they can begin to put on Christ and put off their old self. And then he real quickly walks them through kind of different relationships. The first relationships is as you begin to put on Christ, what does it look like in your church? What does it look like in our Christian relationships? And then we went last week, what Jake taught on was what does it look like in our home between father and uh, husband, wife, father and son, slave and master. And now this part, the first part, the first sermonette that we're going to get, he's going to talk to how does it look to put on Christ in the world? All right. So that's what we're going to look at today from Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Let me read these verses for us. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. 
Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 2, or 4, 2 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Pretty easy command from the start, right? Devote yourselves to prayer. That's the main thing. Devote yourselves to prayer. And particularly, he's talking about a certain kind of pray and a way of praying uh, for the world and the world in which we engage. The word devote means to give steadfast time to. It means to be diligent at, just to wholeheartedly give yourself to prayer. We know that uh, when we did this, the reason we're doing this part of the sermon, this first verse is as a sermonette, is largely because we did a whole series that could have been from this passage when we did bless. Remember in the fall when we did, took on the practice of bless? It was the way that we're called to bless our neighbors, the way that we're to relate to people, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share. So because we did that whole series, that's why this one's going to be the sermonette part. But this would have been a great passage just to teach from bless. And just so you don't think we're just making this stuff up, what's the B for in bless? Begin with prayer. This is what Paul's saying here. Like, devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer is the first thing that you need to do because when you pray, then your eyes get off of yourself and you start to see opportunities all around you because you've been praying for people. You're gonna have spiritual eyes. And I love the way that he kind of describes the type of prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. How? By being watchful and being thankful. It means that as you pray, your eyes begin to change. Now, you enter the world after having prayed, you start to see things differently and you're watchful you're looking for God to actually answer your prayers. You're looking for ways he has answered your prayers so that you can give thanks. Many other translations take this uh, word watchful and they say, be alert. It's like you're supposed to be alert, walking into your day with spiritual eyes and alert. I like to call this the bolo. This is the bolo passage for me. Be on the lookout. You know that little police term? Be on the lookout for some suspect or whatever, right? What he's saying is devote yourselves to prayer and bolo. Like pray and then watch. See what God's going to do. Be on the lookout for opportunities. I told this story, this illustration during the Blessed series, but I want to hear it again because I just find it to be so uh, practical and helpful. Um, I told the story about how whenever I am looking to get like a new used car, one of the things I do is I just go to the blue books and I start reading consumer reports. I talk to my mechanic and I do weeks and weeks, if not sometimes months of research before I decide what kind of car I want to buy. And then you know what happens when you do that? you start seeing that car everywhere, like all over Austin. You're like, I didn't know how so many people had an Acura RDX. Like it's everywhere. I see it all the time now. But the reason I see it all the time is because I've been studying and researching and thinking. What's it like if we devote ourselves to prayer, praying for the people in our lives constantly? I promise what will happen is you'll start seeing opportunities everywhere. You pray and you bolo and see what God does. In fact, if I was to kind of give this uh, whole passage just a simple uh, two-phrase summary, it would be devote yourselves to prayer and look for opportunities. Devote yourselves to prayer and look for opportunities. And so that's what's going to happen here. Paul's going to say, now, I want you to pray for me that I'll have opportunities, and then I'm going to remind you that you, as you pray, ought to be looking for opportunities in your city of Colossae as well. Well, Paul says to pray for them. If you remember way back in chapter one, he said, here's what I've been praying for you. And now at the end of his letter, he's saying, would you just pray this for me? And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. See, Paul was convinced and he knew what happens when you pray is that God opens doors. That's what he's saying. He said, I've got this great opportunity even while I'm here in prison. I don't know about you, but had I been Paul, I think that my prayer request would have been, first, 
pray that I get released from prison. <laughs> no, his prayer is, no, pray for me. Have open doors, like open opportunities for me. That's one of the things I love about Paul. And if you were to read many of the other letters that he wrote when he was in prison, one of the things that he said, particularly in the book of Philippians, is he was convinced that he'd been put in prison for the purpose of advancing the gospel to people who had never have heard. And he's inviting the Colossians now to join me in this. Here's where I am. Here's where God has me. Now pray that God would open doors for me and then pray that I would proclaim it clearly. Next, he's gonna say something similar to them as to how they should be praying and looking for opportunities. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. As much as he wanted open doors for them, now he's turning the table and says, and also for you guys, you need to be aware. You need to pray. You need to bolo. And then when you get these opportunities, season these conversations with grace, with salt. Take advantage of the, the open doors that God gives you as you devote yourselves to prayer. God will open doors and give you people that you can minister to, people that you can bless, you can listen, you can eat, you can serve, you can share. He says to do two things here. He says, Bowen, be wise in the way you act and then be wise in the way you speak. Both things are important as we relate to the world, that we live in a way that honors the Lord and we're wise in the way that we act and we let our light shine among our friends. And when there is that opportunity, we seize it and we season our conversation with salt and grace and we tell people how much God loves them, what Jesus has done for them. Devote yourselves to prayer and just so you can remember it, bolo. Be on the lookout for God's opportunities. So we're actually coming to the end of sermonette number one, all right? Sermonette number one was really just a refresher for you. And I wanted it to be a refresher to keep practicing bless. And so I'll just ask you, just by way of application from sermonette, how, how are you doing? Was bless just something that you did together when your MCs focused on it for that just five-week period of time? Or is it something that you've continued to live and continue to seek opportunities with your classmates, with your coworkers, your friends, your family. I just want to urge you again and let this serve as a reminder to keep at it. Like keep blessing. Begin with prayer and see what God does. Devote yourselves to prayer and be on the lookout for opportunities, particularly in this Christmas season. Next uh, semester, when we start our MCs kind of get back rolling again, we're actually going to do something really simple, just ask a specific question every single week within our Midtown communities to keep this in front of us. It'll be real simple. So like week one of our MC, week one in a month, we're just going to ask the question, who are you praying for? Who are you praying to bless? And so everyone in the MC can be reminded, oh yeah, I'm going to put this person on my list, continue to pray. Week two, we're going to say, how do you plan to bless them? And have just a small conversation in our MCs. Part of our conversation will be like, okay, this is the person you said you're going to pray for. What has God led you to do? How can you listen? How can you eat? How can you serve? How can you share? What's your plan? Week three will be like an out week where the challenge would be for everyone in our MCs to actually do whatever we said we were going to do and blessing the person that we've been praying for. And then week four is going to be story sharing time. We come back to our MCs the fourth week of the month and we just share, hey, what happened? What happened when you took that person out to eat? What happened when you served them? What happened when you got to share about Jesus with someone? We're going to keep this before you guys. And we're going to keep it before our MCs because we need each other. We need each other to bless our city. And that's my transition statement because we need friends. And now we're on to sermon two. Ready? <laughs> sermon two is called the friends that you need. Um, and this part of the letter, Paul's just really giving his final greetings. 
giving his final greetings and a couple instructions to people. And it's, like I said, it's something that normally people will just kind of skip over. Uh, I actually followed a few uh, different churches' teachings through Colossians just as we were studying this whole uh, semester or this whole uh, last uh, fall when we've been doing the series. And a lot of them skipped this part. I thought, I'm not going to do it. We're going we're to find out more about these people. And at the very least, we're going to learn something, maybe like a little Bible study, learning about more of these people that Paul mentions here. And as I was studying it, the thing that got me excited about it was to think about the type of people that Paul surrounded himself with and to think those are the type of people that I need to surround myself with. And then vice versa, this is the kind of friend that I need to become for others. All right, ready for sermon two? Let's stand this time in reading of God's word. A little long passage, but I'll work hard on my pronunciation. All right. Tychicus will tell you the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers in the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is, one of your, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter's been read to you, see that it's also read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It's the word of the Lord. Excellent. We were created in the image of God. That means many things, but one thing it definitely means is that we were created to be in relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit eternally existed in relationship. To be created in the image of God means that we need friendships. We need relationships. We've all experienced the joy of relationships, right? The fun, the laughter, uh, shared interests, encouragement and support in times of need, ministry partners to serve people, to give us wisdom and counsel, people to be with us when we're suffering. And likely, odds are that we've experienced the pain of not having friendships. Maybe it was a season when you moved to a new city and you just had to make new friends again or trying to try out a different church for the first time. Or maybe it's one of those occasions where one of your good friends gets a boyfriend or girlfriend and they don't see them as, as often as you used to. Or maybe there's even a broken relationship. We've experienced both the joys of friendships and the pain of friendships. And Austin, in particular, is a very lonely city. There was a big study that came out in 2018, and here's some of the things that, it's, that, that they've discovered. That over half of Austinites surveyed said that they sometimes or always feel either alone or left out. Close to that same percentage, 47% of Austinites sometimes or always feel relationships aren't meaningful. And half of Austinites feel isolated. 60% of Austinites sometimes or always feel like nobody knows them well. It's not a good place to be, is it? We need friendships, and we need to be the kind of friends to people in our city. And I want to look at these, these uh, men that, that, that 
that Paul surrounded his life with and just point out a few characteristics in them that make us think, challenge us to think about the types of friends we need and the type of friends that we want to become. First, we'll call it faithful friends. You got the, you got the pastoral alliteration through all this, all Fs. I'm making a big stretch on the third one, but here we go, faithful friends. And I see this in lives of uh, Tychicus, Aristarchus, and Luke. Let's read these verses again, this kind of combining uh, 7, 8, 10, and 14. Tychicus will tell the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Then my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send their greetings. Let's start with Tychicus. Tychicus, actually, if you're just to go to like a Bible gateway and drop his name in the little the search bar, you're going to see he comes up five times. Five times, first in Acts chapter 20. We need to learn that he actually joins Paul on one of his missionary journeys in Acts chapter 20. And you'll see the other times that he's mentioned throughout the Bible, he's always mentioned as a messenger. He's the one that is carrying things from Paul to other cities and to other churches. Pretty cool, right? Like this book that we're reading right now was delivered by this guy. Isn't that cool? Like one day you're going to be in glory, you're going to be with God in heaven, and you're going to get to meet Tychicus. And you're going to be able to say, dude, thanks, man. Like, that was a good book. I'm glad you delivered that one for me. Like, this is what, the way that he served with Paul was he would actually bring the word of God and bring Paul's word to these churches for their expressed purpose to let them know how he was doing and how they could be encouraged. Awesome, a faithful friend that walked with Paul all of his life and served with him all of his life. Then there's Aristarchus. He's also mentioned five times in the New Testament. We know that he was Thessalonian, so he likely came to faith, through, uh, faith in Thessalonica through uh, Paul's missionary journey. And uh, he was actually also on the same trip with uh, Tychicus when they, in Acts chapter 20 when they were going on a missionary journey together. But one thing we see later that we don't see about Tychicus that we see about Aristarchus is in Acts chapter 27 when Paul sails to Rome, Aristarchus is right there with him. Like they are together on the ship, making their way. And you see in this passage here, he says that he's a fellow prisoner. Aristarchus, faithful friend, sticking with Paul through thick and thin, through many troubles and trials, and now here in jail. A faithful, faithful friend. It's very possible that he actually died with Paul. We don't know for certain, but we know that here he was in jail with him, a fellow prisoner. And then there's Luke, the faithful friend. This is the only place in the Bible we actually know that he's a doctor, where it says Luke, the doctor. He calls him a dear friend. And he, we know a lot more about Luke than we know about these other guys because Luke wrote the most of the New Testament. You tend to think that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He did by the number of letters he wrote, but Luke actually wrote the most words in the New Testament because he was commissioned by Theophilus to write the accounts of, of the gospel of Luke, to tell about the whole life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. Then he was also commissioned to write the book of Acts where he would tell the story of all the things that God did through the young and emerging church. And Acts was funny in Acts chapter 16, you see that's actually where Luke joined up with Paul and the pronouns in the book of Acts changed. It, uh, the first 15 chapters, it's they, 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 they. And also in chapter 16, it's we, 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 because Luke was with them. Luke carried on with Paul through all these years. And here at the very end of his life, he calls him a dear friend. One of the things that I love, and, and, and uh, you see these accounts of different people uh, in many of Paul's books, in 2 Timothy, you know, the one that he probably thought was the last book that he was going to write, letter that he wrote, he wrote this about Luke. Only Luke is with me. In fact, let's read 2 Timothy 4. You'll see some of these same names. <clears throat> Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, remember he's in the, Colossian, the Colossians uh, passage too, because he loved this world has deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. 
Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Isn't that sweet? Only Luke is with me. Luke stood with him through all of it. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful for me in the ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. There he goes again, sending him off to go different places. The messenger, when you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus and, and Troas and my squirrels, especially the parchments. Fun instruction there, right? What you see there at the end of his life, Demas, the one that was actually, he says in, in the, the passage in Colossians, he says that Demas sends his greetings, but now we find out that Demas ultimately deserted Paul. Paul would talk about the friends that were unfaithful. He would write about them often throughout, throughout the scriptures, and he would warn people to beware of those who had turned their way from the faith or turned their back on him. And now we see the sad story of Demas, who wasn't a faithful friend, contrasted with Luke, who only Luke is with me at the end of his life. Let me ask for you, what about you? Do you have faithful friends? Are you a faithful friend? Like these are the kind of people that we need. We need people, faithful friends, the ones that will be loyal for a lifetime, friends that will suffer with us, friends that will minister with us and serve with us and do the Lord's work together. That's what a faithful friend is. Paul had these guys around his life. These are the kind of friends that we need. As Proverbs tells us, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother. I could point to many of you in this room, and I would call you faithful friends, but I won't try to pick anyone out here. But when I think about faithful friends, that my, my mind first goes to this group of guys that I've been, we all came to, uh, all grew in the Lord together at, while we were at UT as students. And we've started the last 25 years spend Labor Day together faithful, faithful men that have been a part of each other's lives for more than 25 years, just continuing to care for one another. And I look at those guys and I know that all of them would take a bullet for me. I know if I needed something right now, they would drive from whatever city that they're in and they would come meet me. I would do the same for them. In fact, this last month on our group meet, one of the guys was having a pretty difficult time with one of his children. And he just said, hey, I'm coming to Austin. And a buddy from Dallas and I just that buddy from Dallas came into Austin, and I went, and we just joined each other for a couple hours just to listen, minister, serve, give wisdom, give counsel, and just love the guy that was going through a pretty hard time. Like, that's faithfulness. Those are the friends that you need. Those are the friends that you need to be for others. Faithfulness. Let's look at the next one here. This next one I'll call keeping the alliteration going, forgiving friends, forgiving friends. This is specifically Mark and Onesimus. It says, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful dear brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. You have to know a little bit more about the backstory of Mark and Onesimus, so let me tell you a little bit about the backstory in case you didn't know. So Mark was also called John Mark. He was the cousin of Barnabas, and he went with Paul on one of his early missionary journeys, but in the middle of it, he fled. He fled and decided just to go back. And so the next time that there's another missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas get ready to go, and Barnabas says, well, let's bring Mark along. And Paul says, no, I don't want, to. I don't want him coming. And it, they get in such a dispute about it that Barnabas and Paul actually de depart ways. They go different ways, and Barnabas sticks with Mark, but Paul didn't want to have anything to do with him, so that caused this big division, they just split and go their own way. Now, we don't know much about whatever happened throughout the rest of Mark's life, except we get these little glimpses where you can see that there was reconciliation. 
that Paul actually began to minister again with Mark, where he once told him, you can't work with me. Now he says, please come work with me. Isn't that awesome? What he says here, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome. That little parenthetical note there, odds are that maybe the Mark was on one of the bad lists because like I said, Paul would write often in his letters, like this guy tried to hurt me. This guy tried to hurt me. This one deserted me. Like we just saw about Demas, he, he deserted me. And so there was lists that people knew who, which people they needed to be aware of, which ones they could trust. And odds are that Mark was actually on that list. Yet now after reconciling, he would write these words. You've received instructions about him. Welcome him even more profound later in his life, again, going back to Timothy. We actually already read it in in 2 Timothy. Read this. Only Luke is with me. But then he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that amazing? Paul had forgiven Mark. Mark had forgiven Paul. And here they were together doing ministry. And he looks at Mark and he says, this guy's helpful for me in my ministry. I've forgiven him. And here in the book of Colossians, we see that Mark sends greetings. So Mark was actually with him while he was in prison. Not a prisoner like Aristarchus, but he was with him, caring for his needs. Amazing reconciliation. Isn't that awesome? Then there's Onesimus. Maybe you don't know Onesimus' story. Jake actually touched a little bit on it in last week's sermon. But Onesimus is coming with Tychicus to deliver the letter. And this is what we learn about him. He's a faithful brother. And he's one with you. So we know that he's come to Christ. He likely came to faith during Paul's missionary journeys where he was. And then he was also from Colossae. So he was a Colossians, one of you. And what's very likely is that these two letters were delivered together. That Tychicus was coming with two letters, coming with Colossians. And then he was coming with this letter Philemon. Little bitty book in the back of your Bible. Probably both were being delivered together. One went to the church, the book of Colossians. The other went to an individual to an individual to ask him to forgive his runaway slave. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Context of reading Philemon, it's very possible that he actually took money and stole when he was running away. Yet he'd come to faith, and now Paul's going to send him back to reconcile with his master. An amazing letter he writes in Philemon, so much so that I actually want to read a big chunk of it for you guys. Here's the letter that was likely, likely delivered by Tychicus to Philemon. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to you and be me. I am sending him, who is my very heart. See the, you see the tenderness there. I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason that he separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him. Same words that he said for, same words he said for John, uh, John Mark. Welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he's done you wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write you, knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. Isn't that awesome? 
He's, he's not the one that's doing the forgiving this time, like with Mark, but he's, a, he's, he's encouraging forgiveness among his friends, encouraging his brother Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. He surrounded himself with forgiving friends. What do these passages teach us? Uh, they teach us at least one thing, and that's that even apostles and disciples can get sideways with each other, right? Mark probably felt very disrespected, hurt, abandoned by Paul. Paul likely felt rejected. uh, um, Paul likely felt abandoned and disappointed with Mark. Yet here we see the way that he writes about him has completely changed from way back in the book of Acts. Onesimus definitely was in the wrong by running away and likely taking money. Philemon rightly would have thought that he could be disappointed or judged or needed retribution. Yet he sends them with this letter to, to encourage reconciliation. They needed forgiving friends. That's what we need, right? We need forgiving friends because if the disciples get things sideways, you will too, right? We will too. And so we are going to have, within our Christian community, hurts and disappointments, neglects, feeling ignored. We're going to have people get angry or upset. We'll be wrong in things that we say. We'll be wrong in things that we do, which is why we just need forgiving friends. What about you? Do you have forgiving friends? Do you have forgiving friends? Or are you a forgiving friend? Forgiving friends care about your feelings. They listen when you're hurt. They apologize and they ask for forgiveness. They, they don't stew or hold on to things. They forgive you when you ask for forgiveness. To the kind of friends that Proverbs describes this way. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. I think back to my group of faithful friends, and odds are, of walking with each other for 25 years, you think that we haven't had some disagreements among <laughs> our friendships? We have. I was thinking particularly on one occasion where we were stayed up way too late at night during that Labor Day weekend, and we're getting rowdy, and we're playing a game that it, it just prone to make you go to bad places. You know, there's some games like that, and I'd said, made some offhanded comment that really hurts someone, and he had to take me aside and say, bro, that was wrong, and I said, Man, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And that was, it, it took some time, but we, we worked it out, and he's still one of my closest brothers. Or I think on the other end, where someone hurt me, my, my other buddy was just, one thing that's real important to me is like that you return emails or texts or phone calls. It makes me feel respected. And he, this was a guy in the group that just wouldn't do it. Like he just wouldn't ever reply to things. It just started to frustrate me. But as close brothers, I could come up to him and I said, hey man, like this, this is how this affects me. This really hurts my relationship when you don't reply. It makes me feel unrespected. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And to his credit, he completely changed his behavior. From that time on, never happened again. Because that's what brothers do. We forgive each other. We listen to where we've been hurt and we change our behavior. Paul had these kind of people in his life and he tried to foster them in other people's lives. Let's look at a few more people here. And I'm making up a word here. We're calling these fight for you friends. Fight for your friends. I had to keep the alliteration going, you see. Epaphras, Archippus, and the Laodiceans. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. 
And we learned earlier about Epaphras. You remember earlier in the book of, uh, we learned about Epaphras. He was the one that was from Colossae, very likely would have been maybe the one that actually started the movement and started the whole church. And, and God used him to take, to take the gospel to that city for the first time. We don't know for certain, but either way, we know that he was from Colossae and he went to go visit Paul in prison and tell Paul about what was happening in the church so that they could get this letter from him and give the counsel that we receive in this book. So we know that about Epaphras. What we love is that somehow in the course of time, we don't know how long he stayed with Paul, but somehow just in the course of that time that they had, conducting with one another, I'm sure praying together, giving updates, that in that time, Paul observed some things about him. He said, this guy's a servant of Christ Jesus. Like he, he serves the Lord. And not only that, he's a prayer. He's one who prays. He's a prayer. I love the way it's described there. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. Remember Paul, and at the start of the book, he said, my prayer for you is that you guys would mature in Christ. And now he says, yeah, this is what, this is what Epaphras does all the time, man. He's praying for you guys and his prayers that you guys would mature in Christ. You'd stay faithful to the end. Amazing. He was a fight for you, friend. And he even goes so, so much to say that he's working hard for you. I vouched for him. He's working hard. He's laboring. He's working for your church. He's working for the church in Laodicea at Hierapolis. He loves you. He serves God. You need those kind of friends in your life. You need friends that are gonna care primarily about your spiritual interests and are gonna push you forward. Now, you could have unbelieving friends that could be faithful friends. You really can. You can have unbelieving friends that could be forgiving friends, but you can't have unbelieving friends that are true fight-for-you friends because fight-for-you friends care primarily about your spiritual maturity and your walk with God, and they're gonna fight for you. They're gonna pray for you. They're gonna help you grow. Do you have those kind of people in your life? Are you that kind of person that's fighting for others? And then there's Archippus. This is an interesting part of the letter. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. That's the letter that got lost. We know there was another letter, but we don't, we don't have that one. Tell Archippus, see to it that you com uh, complete the ministry you've received. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul's writing these letters and expecting them. They were kind of what, was, what became known as like circular letters. The letters sometimes would just go to one church, but they would go, they would bounce around. They'd make copies of them and send them to other churches in the area that all might benefit. And so the early church gatherings, in large part, was just reading letters like this. And so can, if you can imagine, this is pretty funny, but in the middle of their reading this letter, one guy gets called out. Wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't that be terrible? Be, be like a, a middle sermon just saying, and Kelly... Finish the work that the Lord gave you to do. I, Paul, will write this with my own hand. You know, it's like, he just calls out Archippus, just calls him out because Paul was a fight for you, friend. He knew that something was going on and he wanted to challenge this guy to stay faithful to what God had called him to do. We don't know exactly who Archippus was. Uh, the, the speculation is that he was either the pastor in Colossae or, or that he was the interim pastor, like he was the one that was pastoring when Epaphras was going to Hierapolis or Laodicea or even visiting Paul in prison. So whether he was a pastor, uh, we don't know. Seems like it contextually could be the case that the last, one of the last things that he says in this whole book is just to challenge the pastor to stay faithful. You see Paul do that a lot in his letters when he's writing Titus and he's writing Timothy. He's so, so often just trying to fan into flame the gifts, reminding them that God's called you to do this. Do you have those kind of friends in your life? Do you have friends that know what you're, what you're passionate about, that will call you out on it and say, be faithful to what God's called you to do. Use your gifts. Stay honoring with God. Like you need friends like that in your life. Do you have them? 
Do you have faithful and that you have fight for your friends? Those are the type that let you in on their struggles and the ways they're suffering or ways of, that they're sinful. They're the ones that remind you of God's promises. There's the ones that check up on you regularly, hold you accountable to the things that you said you wanted to do or become. They're the ones who call you out when you've done something wrong. And maybe most importantly, they're ones that pray for you, like Epaphras, wrestling in all prayer for you. As Proverbs says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You don't just want yes men and yes women in your life. You need friends that will be trusted to wound you, to point you to God. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's a very tedious process to sharpen iron. But that's what we need. We need fight for your friends in our lives. One of the things that we do at our Labor Day weekend with these uh, group of guys is we always have church together on that Sunday morning. And at time of church, stuff happens throughout the whole weekend, so you're always sharing with, with each other's lives. But that time in particular, we just be honest with each other about things we're struggling with and battles that we're having or issues happening in our families or, or whatever the case may be. And we fight for each other. We listen, we give advice where it's appropriate, and then we get on our knees and we just pray for each other. That's what it takes. I think about one of the friends that confessed something that was going on in his life this last, this last year when we were at the group. And as natural, this is a group of about 10 guys. So, so you, know, you definitely have a few that you're closer to than the others. Two of them that aren't as naturally as close. One guy picked up on this particular prayer request that this guy had of, of a, a sin issue in his life. And I found out by talking with him that, that the other guy has been calling him every single week since Labor Day, just checking up on him, saying, hey, how you doing with that issue? How you doing? And he says, you know, this, he says, this is kind of a new thing to our relationship. I've got other, other, other guys in the group that would do this, but this guy's doing it for the first time, and he's being consistent, and he's caring for me. That's a fight for you, friend, right there. Those are the friends that we need. Now, it probably comes as no surprise that um, application-wise, I'm going to encourage you guys to get in huddles in midtown communities. <laughs> Pretty simple application, right? That's where you're going to find the friends that are faithful, the friends that are forgiving, the friends that will fight for you. Get connected in our groups, guys. If you're not connected in a group, please just put on your connection card right now, like, yes, sign, sign me up. I'll direct you to the group that's best for you. You can try out different groups and figure out which one's best for you, but that's how we're going to grow as a body to have those kind of friendships with one another. Sermon number two, complete. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.